changelings. Kingway, Fox, Beard, Muckers, Action, Very Weird, Captain Pike, Cisco's Wife, Klingons, and the Afterlife, Boimler, Tendy's Dog, Ransom is Very Hot, Four Drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, Batless, Edward is an idiot, Fox is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red, Zeta's cat, Kempak's hat, Q has had enough of that, Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go! We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday night, April 6, 2023, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. That means we're live. And that means you can let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking at 646-668-2433. We'll be live for the next two hours, and we'd love to hear from you. This is episode 524. Wow, where does the time go? And we're going to be talking about Star Trek Picard Part 7 Dominion, which was last week's episode, not the one that's on today. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'd love to hear from you guys. But we also have our Star Trek birthdays, which we're going to go through, and and our fan scores and our fan shout-outs. But before we jump into all the fun, I'd like to go around the room and introduce all of my awesome Trek experts. But I want to remind everybody that beheadings are on Wednesdays. Okay? So you're safe because today is Thursday. So bear that in mind. And let's start oh, thank off with God. We have our very own Charles out in Vegas tonight. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good, enjoying the weather, and Ray, do some track talking. Oh, man, the weather is so nice. Oh, it's, it's going to be close to 70 this weekend. I'm so psyched. It's been so long, so it's, I'm looking forward to it myself. The Easter Bunny will be hop, hop, hopping along, which is great. And uh, we also have our trifecta back with us together again from awesome Portland, and let's start off with our very own, <coughs> I'm sorry, David, who <laughs> forgot to put the donut, but did the apple pie, and I hear that he might be putting a scoop of vanilla ice cream on top of that apple pie, so how you doing, David? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. It's uh, pretty nice to eat some pie while talking, Trek. It, it is, it is. It, it's a good day for pie, as Warp would say. <laughs> and we also have <laughs> we also have with us from Portland as well the toy guy, our very own Paul. How you doing tonight, Paul? Hey, brother, I'm doing okay. You know, it's been a, a busy, crazy, zany week. Uh, I am ready for some change. In <laughs> I need some sunshine. Yep. I need some something that doesn't revolve around rain and cold. I'm like, it seems to just be grinding on forever here. Ready. <laughs> for something different so come on bring it on mother nature it's right around the corner it's so close you can smell it it's right there (laughs) but doing good man doing good and last but not least we have our very own eric and you'll never guess where he failed he hails from 
That's right. Portland as well. How you doing tonight, Eric? Uh, I am doing quite well, guys. Uh, still one of the most livable cities out there. We still have the best airport in the nation. What's not to like about Portland, aside from exactly what Paul's talking about, the cold and rainy weather. But what are you going to do? We have Trek to keep us warm, as well as this nice little whiskey I've got on the side here, I must admit. <laughs> oh, really? Well, I'm just saying, sometimes you've got to prime the pump. Oh, excellent. 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 You hear the sound of squealing tires. That's me. (laughs) Grinding gears. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, guys, before we went live, uh, I was talking about uh, Trek Long Island, and I'm really excited. It's it's a month away. It's next month, and I'm so psyched to be there. I'm going to be our presenter. I'm going to be up on stage with Bonnie Gordon on Sunday. Uh, It's going to be so much fun. They have so many guest stars. I can't even, I can't even, there's so many. But I'm really psyched because as I was telling these guys, they're going to have the 13-year-old Spock from Star Trek Three, The Search for Spock, and Robin Curtis. And so I'm really psyched to get my Star Trek Three poster signed by both of them because, I mean, I don't know how many times you're going to get to meet the 13-year-old Spock from Star Trek Three. Well, you know, so, so this uh, is the this is the actor who got to appear with Robin Curtis, right? When he's going through his yes. whole Ponfar thing. Yeah, I, I thought I read on somewhere, Jim, that there's they're doing a segment together called Tales from Puberty. Is that right? Is that happening? Uh, you know, anything's Still? possible. <laughs> I think it's yeah. the 17-year-old Spock is the one that she really got jiggy with, so. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, I don't know. I mean, 13, 17, is there a whole lot of difference there? Did you really need to hire two actors for that? I mean, well, I'm thinking... Well, not in you know, years. That's like dog years, you know? A lot of details that you need to find out for us, Jim. I mean, a lot, so... Well, I'm, I'm going to flash the truck talking cards to everybody, and I'm going to try to get some contact info from people and see if I can set up some interviews for this very podcast. So that's what I'm, I'm hoping for. But at any rate, uh, we will be at Trek Long Island. I will be there, and you can come and touch my bat lift. And you can visit us at the table. Me and, and Karen and Jamie will be at our table for the whole weekend, and we'll be having lots of fun. So please stop by and visit us, and, of course, check out the awesome convention. Uh, in case you hadn't heard about it, um, Eric put together this awesome promo for the convention, which I'm going to play for you guys right now. Trek Talking would like to invite you to attend Trek Long Island at the Hyatt Regency Long Island Hotel in beautiful Hopog, New York on May 20th and 21st, 2023. Trek Long Island will have a variety of guests ranging from the original series to Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, and beyond. Doug Jones, David Ajala, Oded Fayer, Franz Nguyen, Issa Briones, Evan Evagora, Raven Dowda, Sandy Gimple, Tanya Lamani, and Fumsil Satoli are just a few of the guests currently scheduled, with more to come. Enjoy interacting with celebrities at guest panels, or snag a photo op or autograph from your favorite actor. Craving the real stuff? Sit in on science panels with real scientists from NASA and accredited professionals in a variety of scientific fields or take in a panel where we discuss how Trek's influence on diversity and inclusion has affected Trek fans and the rest of the real world. Love podcasts? We do too. 
Meet the people behind the voices from Trek Talking, The Sci-Fi Sisters, Strange New Pod, Women at Warp, Roy's Tie-Dye Sci-Fi Corner, and more. Don't forget to visit the vendor room, where you will find exhibitors and authors, and where you can pick up an exclusive offering from Mego Toys. Purchase a general admission ticket or upgrade to the Q-Pass, which offers you preferred seating, early access admission to a VIP dinner and show with actress Bonnie Gordon, and more. Trek Long Island is a family-friendly event with many programs and activities, so bring the little tribbles with you. Let's beam Trek back to the East Coast with a bang. Just visit treklongisland.com for updates and to buy your tickets. We will see you out there. Engage. It's going to be so much fun. Um, there's so much to cram in because they keep adding more and more and more actors. Um, I'm really also excited about meeting Hemmer. He's going to be there as well. So, uh, yeah, wow, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot crammed into a short amount of time. But if you're in the area, if you're looking for some really good, fun Star Trek activities, you've got to go to Trek Long Island. I'm telling you, it's going to be a blast and a half. And, by the way, uh, if you wanted to find out about Trek Long Island, how to get tickets, their full agenda, who's going to be there, photo ops, that kind of information, Paul, how how would fans get that information? Well, Jim, if the Internet was a giant uh, aquatic park water slide with just infinite numbers of uh, plastic and acrylic turns and twists and unforeseeable destinations one could be spewed out of, you would ideally just close your eyes and focus your consciousness towards finding that information, and that great water slide would spit you out into the luxurious Olympic-sized swimming pool that is TrekTalking.com, where you'd be able to get all of your hypothetical, theoretical, and salacious Star Trek-related, convention-related, anything-related Star Trek-related questions answered adroitly. TrekTalking.com. TrekTalking.com is the place to go. You'll see a link right there, and you can click on it. It'll bring you right to their page. You can pick up your tickets, uh, get your hotel room reservations, the whole nine yards, right at TrekTalking.com. And speaking of TrekTalking.com, I have one more little bit of information, one more little quick promo, which Charles was fond enough to put together for us. But this is a special one. I want you to pay attention. Season 1 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds is now on Blu-ray, DVD, and limited edition Blu-ray Steelbook. Experience every episode like never before with over 100 minutes of special features, including exclusive cast and crew interviews, a gag reel, deleted scenes, and more. Own the Emmy-nominated first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds from CBS and Paramount Home Entertainment today limited edition 4K UHD Steelbook, available for pre-order now. And why is that commercial so important to you guys? Because I have in my hand, right here, right now, a copy of Strange New World Season 1 on Blu-ray. And I would love, and I mean love, nothing would make me happier than to give it to you right now. Okay, I'd love to do Thanks, it. man. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it, too. 
Jim, you're awesome. I don't care what people say. That's really kind of you, man. So, Eric, Eric, how would how would are that how would I go about getting this awesome free Blu-ray? Well, I think you got to get in contact with us, Jim. And the absolute easiest way to go and and do that is by going to trektalking.com. And we have a little microphone in the corner there that you can click and you can leave us a message and you can make it short, you can make it long, uh, but tell us who you are, tell us where you're from, and tell us why you think uh, we should send you this awesome, uh, you know, gift. Uh, And uh, if we agree with you, we will send it your way, right, Jim? It's very (laughs) simple, but remember, remember, I'm a very simple man and I'm impressed. It takes a lot to impress me. Emojis impress me. Food emojis especially impress me. Uh, so mentioning Klingons, mentioning Klingons yeah. is definitely near the top of the list. Yeah, if you listen to the yeah, podcast, we, you know you can pretty much get away with anything with Jim if you mention Klingons first. Yes, leave us a Klingon message, uh, and what we'll do is uh, we'll, we'll play any messages and we'll pick the one that we think is the best. So be creative, be fun. Don't just say, "Hi, my name is Joe. I like Star Trek." That's not going to fly. Won't, won't, won't cut the mustard. Um, make it creative. Tell us why you deserve it, and it could be yours. That Jim, is there a, is there a, currently a time limit on that sucker? No, until until we give it away. No, I mean, I'm, like, how long the message a person can leave you? Is a, is there a, a cutoff, like sixty seconds, ninety seconds? I think it's two and a half minutes. Yeah, he upped it to like two and a half minutes. So it's it's. Oh, that's great. Know, that's great. Yeah, you can leave a good. So if some, uh, you know, some fan somewhere, one of our top fans perhaps who hasn't, you know, engaged in a while, felt like leaving a, a message in the voice of Chancellor Gowron, uh, that might be something that would catch Jim's attention. <laughs> so just if you're looking for ideas, <laughs> that would maybe we could get like I don't know house. ten or fifteen different Gowrons this week. What do you say, yeah, fans? Who's, who's, who's going to do it? Or I think that if, that would make this really interesting contest. If Robert O'Reilly himself called too, that would be just as good, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. But it's uh, it's there. It's waiting, guys. So give us go over to trucktalking.com and give us your best. Kapla. Okay, I want to give it to you. I really, really do. I want to give it to you right there, Ray, Ray, Ray in the Bronx. There you go. Ray, Ray calls all the time. Go and leave us a message, Ray, and uh, make it creative. All right, guys. Well, uh, that wraps up all of our house cleaning and all of our all of our fun stuff. Are we ready to dive right in? So, yep, yep. yep. All right. We're going to start off with our fan shout-outs. And uh, every week I pick, uh, you know, 20 lucky listeners from our Facebook page. And let me see. I haven't picked on Charles yet. So, Charles. If if a listener wanted to have their name featured in a fan shout out, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, first they make sure Jim called him by his correct name. Since I man, my voice really sounded good in that last ad. Yeah, I said it so amazing. much like Eric. <laughs> well, you are a ventriloquist. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I didn't sound like I sounded that good. Well, most of our fans should already be members of our Facebook page and go straight to Facebook to find us. Or they could sneak over to trucktalking.com, click on the Facebook link, and send them straight to the Facebook page, 
and then go look for the pin post that says, where are you from, and let us know where you're from. And if Jim puts a heart next to your name, then he's going to be adding you on a future list. It's that simple. Very, very simple. And with all of that out of the way, let's dive right in and say thank you to our very special fans, and we'll start off with Eric. Yeah, our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to Sheldon Elgenbrecht, who's saying hello to us from Johannesburg, South Africa. Sheldon, thank you so much for saying hello to us all the way from South Africa, and I will say to you, Kemba at rest. Chris Middlemiss, we'd like to say to you as well, hello and live long and prosper. You're saying hello to us from Wellington, New Zealand, way, way down there. I'd love to go to New Zealand one of these days. Chris Middlemiss, thank you so much for listening to us and supporting us almost on the other side of the planet, uh, you know, from a practical standpoint. <laughs> thank you so much. Also saying hello this week to top fan Stefan Hupke from Oosterhausen, Germany. Top fan Stefan. Top fan means that Stefan interacts with us quite a bit on our Facebook page, and we always appreciate folks who do that. So thank you so much. Peace and long life to you, sir. Top fan Shelley Mullen is saying hello to us from Somerset, England. Shelly, thank you so much for carrying the torch for us over there in the UK. Kapla to you. Charles, who would you like to say hello to? Well, let's start off with top fan Ed Charles. He's near Seattle, but not in Seattle. So are you up north? Are you down south by Tacoma? Are you over by the islands? I'm not sure. He's somewhere around that area. Heather Gossier-Tarman from Austin, Texas. Hope you got good weather over there in Austin with all this crazy weather. Greetings to Pamela Finley from Bay, Arkansas. How's it going in Arkansas? And Samantha May Hatfield from Georgia, USA. Ah, i got a couple of friends that are podcasters over in Georgia. So, David, who's on your list? Maybe yeah. somebody from your state. Yeah, i got a couple, actually. So, first, I want to say thank you for listening from Oregon, Ted Pagula. Pagula. I'm sorry for butchering your name. <laughs> um Next from Oregon is all the way down south in Klamath Falls, but started my fan journey in Germany. Name is Yvonne Woodward. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, next is uh, all the way out east in Jacksonville, Jacksonville Florida. Uh, thank you, John Muir, Muir for listening. Uh, last on my list is all the way from Springfield, Missouri, Glenda Ellingsworth. Paul, who's on your list? Okay, man. I think we got to lift this boat up and head on over to uh, the European Union over here, where we have all kinds of folks that are signing in and saying hello and wishing us greetings. To start things off, we'd like to say howdy to top fan Bela Sukas Jr. from Pex, Hungary, all the way from Hungary there. Fantastic to hear from you, Bela, and thanks for being a fan. Not too far down the road from Bela, we have Andrea Kirali in Vienna, Austria, 
flying the Austrian flag proudly and giving us a flashing that uh, live long and prosper sign there from uh, Austria. Phenomenal part of the universe, Andrea. And thank you for listening and being a fan. We also have greetings from uh, the magical land of Gdansk, Poland, with the Polish flag flying from Jarek Lojewski, who is a fan as well. Fantastic to hear from you, Jarek. And another top fan, uh, we're going to spin the old globe there and fly below the international dateline to Coffs Harbor, Australia, where we're hearing from Vicky Sellings, who is also a top fan, saying hello to us. So folks all across the world, because yes, it's true, Star Trek enthusiasm is a global mankind phenomenon, and womankind as well. How about you, Jim? Well, we want to start right here in New England. We want to say kabla and thank you to listen. Oh, oh, I got just got a message which covered up. I got another one which is covering up my screen. Oh no! Uh oh! Uh oh! Uh oh! <laughs> go away! There we go. I'd like to say I'm, I'm, I'm reading this off my phone and these messages are popping on my phone. Oh, we want to say uh, thank you and kabla to Nathaniel Grayholm who's listening to us in. Boston, Massachusetts, yo. Um, thank you so much from Boston, Massachusetts. We also want to say live long and prosper and thank you to Edmund Fitzman's Livesey, who says, I'm listening in Jersey, baby. That's absolutely awesome. Represent. We also want to say thank you to top fan Adam Kendall, who's listening to us in Arkansas, U.S. of A. And last, but definitely not least, we want to play a visit to Boone, Iowa, and say thank you to Charles Matthews. And that, my friends, wraps up our fan shout-outs, and we appreciate each and every one of you guys. I can't say thank you enough, and as Charles said, if you'd like to hear your name mentioned on a future fan shout-out, it's simple. Go to our Facebook page, tell us where you're from, Leave lots of really cool emojis and look for a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim. And then tune into the next Truck Talk and Podcast to hear your name. All right, guys, it's time for our Star Trek birthdays. That was not a Klingon song. Okay, guys. We always start off our Star Trek birthdays every week by, sadly enough, remembering those members of our Star Trek family who are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim. Uh, this week we are remembering six members of our Star Trek community. The very first is kind of a heavy hitter, although she wasn't actually on screen as much as she was originally supposed to be. We are saying uh, happy birthday and sending out lots of love and remembrances this week to uh, Grace Lee Whitney, who, of course, was most famous for playing Yeoman Janice Rand uh, in the original series. She was only in eight episodes of the original series, uh, but later on, of course, she uh, reprised her role on Star Trek Voyager's episode of Flashback and then was eventually, uh, and then kind of backtracking, was also in the motion picture, Star Trek Three, and Star Trek Six. 
Um, what I didn't know before researching her a little bit was that she was originally intended to be a major part of the series, but she was actually written out after eight episodes. And there are various conjectures as to why that was the case, and you can go and research those if you'd like to. But I do know that Roddenberry later apologized for that and said that it was actually the dumbest mistake that's a quote, dumbest mistake he ever made. So uh, even he would have liked to have seen more Rand back in the day, I think. Uh, Star Trek wasn't the only thing Grace Lee Whitney did. Uh, she did some other work with Jeffrey Hunter, actually, in The Man from Galveston in 1963. She was in Police Story with uh, DeForest Kelly. And uh, she actually had two sons, Scott and John, who also appeared in Star Trek productions throughout the years. And, uh, of course, she loved to reprise her role in some fan Star Trek fan movies and that sort of stuff too. So Grace Lee Whitney would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to her. We lost her way back in 2015 already. Feels like just yesterday. You know uh, what's strange about that? Yeah. Eight it seems like she was in so many more than just eight. I mean, she's very recognizable with that big uh, beehive hairdo and yeah. eight episodes. <laughs> She yeah, I think a lot of it is, is my guess is for me, it's just like, you know, she was in all those first season episodes, and they are so well written. You know, they really are. And she was just such a, you know, she she was never just the person, right? She had, or just the girl, if you will. You know, she always had a great moment, right, where she was just really, you know, you got to see her character interact with somebody like Sulu in the Botany Lab, or, or with Spock, or the Captain in a certain way. I mean, she had made great relationships, so she never forgot a thing she was in. She was super great. Yeah. yeah. Like... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. I was going to say, um, eight episodes doesn't seem like a whole lot, and I, I, I agree with uh, um, <clears throat> uh, Jim here that it seems like it was a lot longer than that, but I guess eight episodes is uh, pretty long, I suppose, but I think it would be really cool if Strange New World actually brought in that character into the show. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty fun. If Paramount is listening, they've taken a lot of our ideas in the past, so... (laughs) Please take that one, too. (laughs) Well, I mean, Rand Rand is sort of a, uh, in some ways, like a prototype of the chapel that we have on Strange New Worlds. You know, she was originally written as kind of like to be kind of a side, not really love interest, but like crush for Kirk in some ways. Um, And, you know, they never, like I said, various reasons she was written out of the show. um, They never got a chance to actually develop her character the way that she was originally intended to be um, as part of the show. So, yeah. Um, Great actress, great character. Uh, Thank you so much, Grace Lee Whitney, and happy birthday to you. Uh, Also saying happy birthday this week to Frank Gorshin Jr., uh, an impressionist, a comedian, and an actor who have Uh, who, of course, played Commissioner Beale in the original series' third season episode, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. One of those two guys uh, that was uh, white on one side of the face, black on the other side of the face. Now you know which episode I'm talking about. Frank Gorshin Jr., actually probably most famous for one of my other childhood loves. I absolutely (laughs) enamored with the Batman television show uh, from the 60s because it was in reruns. When I was a kid back in the late 70s, and uh, he, of course, played the Riddler on the original Batman series, and I just loved that Riddler. He was so dastardly. He always had, like, the quippy riddles. He he was kind of goofy. No, I mean, that whole show had a je ne sais quoi that he just fit in 
with perfectly. Um, but that's not the only thing he did. I mean, he did play the Riddler for three years on that show. Uh, but he, of course, did several other movies uh, and television shows after he served in the Korean War. Um, so huh. that uh, he, another veteran. We've we've got a lot of Star Trek folks who are who are part of that veteran um, entourage. Something else that might touch Jim just a little bit. In 1979, Gorshin appeared in a two-part episode of Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. So yeah. uh, Gorshin was also on that. And then he actually, I didn't know this, and I have to find this. Maybe you already know about this, Paul. But in 2003, there apparently was a reuniting of the original Batman cast members, including Catwoman and uh, Frank Gorshin and uh, and several others in something called Return, Return to the Batcave, the, Bat the misadventures of yeah. Adam and Bert. <laughs> yeah, have you seen that? I, I know. I think I caught part of it. I, I don't remember it being super memorable other than just for the kind of camp, you know. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, okay. but, but, I, but I think it was – but he was definitely in there. You know, you're probably going to mention it, but uh, are you yeah. are you going to mention uh, yeah, his voice the picture he was – no, 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 not oh, no. that. Talk about the movie then. Yeah. All right. Yeah. This is really it's a small part, but uh, but uh, uh, he was in uh, Twelve Monkeys. Yep. He was in that movie, did you, and that did is a you great. Say that, and I just missed it. No, I didn't. No, no, no. But that, he, that's a great movie, and he was in that movie. So yeah, thanks for mentioning that. I was only gonna also mention that he did some voiceover work. Um, he played Doctor Hugo Strange in a one of, in the Batman that animated series. Oh, cool! So, Those animated yeah. ones are great. They're so good. So Frank Gorshin Jr. would have had a birthday just yesterday. April 5th, 1933 was his birth date. Uh, we lost him all the way back in 2005. Happy birthday, Frank. Happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to Kenneth Mars as well. He was a veteran comic actor and a voice actor who played the role of Coilus in Star Trek Deep Space Nine second season episode Shadow Play. Um, Kenneth was absolutely best known for sure for his Mel Brooks stuff. Uh, he was in The Producers in 1968. Young Frankenstein, 1974. Um, if you don't know him from that, you might know him as Otto Monku, uh, Mancuser in uh, Malcolm in the Middle, which was the show that I thought was actually pretty good. I watched a lot of that back in the day. Um, but he also did uh, voice acting. He voice acted King Triton in The Little Mermaid, uh, 1989 Disney movie. Uh, hmm. Mostly did comedy stuff. Did some dramatic roles in the 60s, uh, like he was in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, stuff like that. But then he went back to comedy, uh, returned in Police Academy 6, eventually appeared uh, for the last time in a 2002 comedy called Teddy Bear's Picnic, uh, which I have not seen. But uh, that was his final feature film. So happy birthday to Kenneth Mars. Happy birthday as well to Bob Hoy, also known as Robert Bob Francis Hoy. Uh, he was a stuntman and actor who played Sam in the original series' first season episode, The Devil in the Dark, uh, a great episode that we love to talk about a lot on this podcast. Uh, he revealed years and years and years, like 30 years later, that he actually shared the hoarder roles with uh, Janos uh, Prokoska, who mostly played the Horda. And so sometimes when you see the Horda, it's actually Bob Hoy in the suit, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, he's definitely best known for his portrayal of Joe Butler in uh, The High Chaparral. Uh, he was in that from 1967 to 1971, very long-running series. 
Um, and in 1944, long before that, guess what? Another veteran. He was a Marine in Camp Pendleton, California, served in World War II, discharged in 46, uh, and then kind of became a cowboy for a few years before he started, started acting, um, mostly doing stunts in the 50s, uh, eventually got some acting credits and that sort of stuff uh, later on in life. But um, I didn't know that after he did the stunts and after he did the acting, he actually went on to do um, some other stuff. So he, after he worked on all of that stuff, uh, he served as a second unit director and a stunt coordinator uh, in the Spanish television series called Zorro in, in Spain. There was like a Zorro series in Spain, and he was in charge of uh, stunt coordination and second unit direction for that. So Bob Hoy would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday, Bob. Happy birthday as well to Ray Norman, uh, the actress uh, who played Penny Murdoch in, or Murdoch, excuse me, <laughs> in the sixth season Next Generation episode, Tapestry. Um, she was in a few things here and there. Uh, she was in 1991's True Colors, did a couple other movies, like a horror movie, The Dentist 2, back in the day, and then did some television guest appearances on various shows like Tales from the Crypt, Seinfeld, um, Boston Public, Desperate Housewives, uh, lots of different shows. So Ray Norman would have had a birthday on April 1st, uh, and we lost her just three years ago uh, at kind of a young age, age 62 years old. Ray Norman would have had a birthday this week. And our final uh, birthday remembrance this week goes out to Sharon Acker, who lived to the ripe old age of 87 years old, uh, lost just this past March on March 16th. She was the Canadian actress who played Odana in the original series, third season episode, The Mark of Gideon. Um, she was a regular on the soap opera Executive Suite back in the late 70s. And she appeared on lots and lots of television guest appearances with other folks from Star Trek. So, like, she was on Mission Impossible with Leonard Nimoy. Um, <laughs> you know, she was on Gunsmoke uh, with some other folks. So, anyway, lots of television guest appearances uh, back in the day for her. She has a few film credits, uh, but most notably probably 1967's Point Blank. So, Cheryl Acker... Would have had a birthday on April 2nd of this week. Uh, lost just this past March. Sharon, we do miss you. Uh, what a great role in The Mark of Gideon. Happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to you. And those are our remembrances this week, guys. So, uh, Charles, take it away with our uh, those folks who are still with it, us birthdays. Oh, thank you, Eric. Let's start off with Jacqueline Joan Kim. Played Antidemora Sulu. In Star Trek Generations, Jessica Collins played Linus Paris in Voyager's third season episode, Before and After, a very popular, I've seen this for a couple of my uh, people, uh, soap operas, appeared in All My Children, Loving and Young and the Restless. Leslie Morris played Commander Reginald in Star Trek Next Generation second season Sumerian Snare. Casey Biggs, best known for portraying Jamar in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, appeared in 23 episodes. Also played the Lyrian uh, captain 
on Enterprise Season 3 Episode Damage. And also has spent time on Ryan's Hope. Joanne Heimbold played Laura in Voyager's 6th and 7th Season Episode Unimatrix Part Zero. Unimatrix Zero, Part 1 and 2. And then, of course, Jim had to make sure I get this one. A very happy birthday to Alexander Enberg, known for Star Trek fans in re- recurring roles as Ensign Vorick. Nine episodes in the, in the series Voyager. But... Not my fa- not my favorite character of his, even though he did work with uh, Leslie Hoffman on Blood Fever. He was also Turek on TNG's seventh season episode Lower Decks, the actual Lower Decks episode. So, Paul, who's on your list? Thanks, Charles. Appreciate it, man. Uh, all kinds of cool folks that are on here right now. Um, love this first uh, gentleman very much. Terrific actor uh, who really brings just an excellent perspective to Admiral Robert April on Star Trek Strange New Worlds, right? It's uh, Rattle the Cage April. there. Uh, Mito, he's, he's, he's a nice guy, but you take him seriously. He really portrays leadership extremely well. Um, first season episodes include Strange New Worlds and Spock Amok. Uh, really, really, though, uh, someone to watch, I would say, tremendously. I mean, this guy's been working for a, a long time, um, but I think he's about to break out. Um, he had a role in a picture that did pretty well uh, recently. Um, oh, God, what is it called? I'm trying to remember. Um well, it's not that recent. It's been a couple of years, but Elysium, the Matt Damon sci-fi movie. Oh, that was a great movie. I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He had a small role in that, and uh, he was in a really fun kind of horror pastiche called Cabin in the Woods uh, that I rem- seem to remember Josh Whedon was involved in. But uh, uh, but really, yeah, I think he was one of the writers on there, if I remember. But uh, a really cool actor. Um, happy birthday, Adrian Holmes. I... I just feel we're going to be seeing a lot more of you. I know, I'm, I bet green money we're going to see more of him on Strange New Worlds. But I, I just got a feeling this guy is, is going places. So terrific actor, really charismatic. Happy birthday, man. Happy birthday also to Troy Baker, actor and musician who voiced Ensign Sherwins in the Lower Decks third season episode, The Least Dangerous Game. <laughs> a lot of fun stuff on those third season episodes. Happy birthday also goes out to Lindy Booth, who played Alora in the Strange New World's first season episode, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. We're getting a lot of Strange New World's uh, visitations here, for sure, a lot of the current shows. Um, Let's move over to uh, Next Gen, to Star Trek The Next Generation, where Tasia Valenza, uh, actress from New York City, who played uh, Tishanik in the uh, first season Next Gen episode, Coming of Age. Really cool episodes. Uh, it's really interesting to look at Star Trek and, and check out uh, first seasons, right? We were just talking with Grace Lee Whitney about first season original series. People often poo-poo the first season of uh, Next Gen, right? Because in some of the early ones, they were awkward and they were finding their way, right? And some of them, they're a little clunky. But there's also 
some dynamite episodes that are uh, woven in there that are just really outstanding. Um, you know, the, the lore discovery episode comes to mind, but I, I seem to recall coming of age was a really decent episode as well. So uh, Tasia Valenza, Tashanik, great to be able to acknowledge you. Hope you're having a great birthday and a terrific career. And finally for me, happy birthday goes out to Judith Lynn McConnell, a Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania actress who played Yeoman Tancris in the original series, second season episode, Wolf in the Fold. We were just talking about that, I believe it was last week, from the pen of the great Robert Block, a very Scotty-centric episode. So, uh, Judith Lynn McConnell, uh, you join our list of birthdays here for all these wonderful folks who are part of the Star Trek universe. And I'll send that flaming Boussard Collector uh, birthday candle over to Jim. Well, I don't, I've only got a few, and I don't have any Klingons this week, unfortunately, but I do have the next best thing. We'd like to say happy birthday to Sophia Butella, uh, who's an Algerian actress and dancer who played Jayla in Star Trek Beyond. I think that's pretty close to a Klingon. She kicked lots of butt um, in Star Trek Beyond, and hopefully if they ever do decide to do another Star Trek movie, I hope we see more of her because she was a great character. So happy birthday to Sophia Butella. We also want to say happy birthday to Gregory Warkowski, who played Captain Solak in Star Trek Deep Space Nine seventh season episode, Take Me Out to the Hollow Suites, which is just a phenomenal episode. And I also played Ceres in Star Trek Enterprise third season episode, The Chosen Realm. We also want to say happy birthday to Joel West, who portrayed the Augment Rackin in Star Trek Enterprise fourth season episode, Borderland. And uh, last, but definitely not least, we want to say happy birthday to Alexandria Linden, who played Jamal in Star Trek Enterprise fourth season episode, The Enar. If you guys remember, same exact race as Hammer Time from Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So there's your little tie-in to Enterprise. And that wraps up our Star Trek birthdays for this week. And uh, now it's time to have some real Trek talk and fun. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We're about to talk about Star Trek Picard Part 7, Dominion. And every week on our Facebook page, I ask you guys, our fans, to score this week's episode on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. And Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say about Dominion? Well, Jim, in general, it was a little surprising for me. Uh, Josephine M. Cox gave it a 7 because the lack of lighting made me miss heaps of details. Yeah, I can see that, Josephine. Thomas Boisvert gave it a 8. For me, I love the data and lore issue. We need more clarity with Jack. I like his acting. I think he is a paw, a paw race infected from DS9 story, but it is a guess. Great to see a fake Tuvok as well, a nice touch, and shows how far the changelings have infiltrated Starfleet. Thanks, Thomas. Nick Christensen also gave it an 8. It was a very good prelude episode. It answered a couple of questions, made the whole whatever it is happening to Jack kind of interesting instead of somewhat off-putting. I know the next episode is going to be even better. Thanks, Thomas. 
Top fan Carol Shearman said about a seven saved from a four by Amanda Plummer's incredible performance. Top fan Roger Stockton gave it a ten, kept you on the edge of your seat the whole episode with action and twists and turns. Top fan Dan Shelley said eight. The Section 31 backstory did a good job flushing out Vatic. Great cliffhanger ending. Now, Carol Perry Stringham said, First, let me say I am loving this season so far. As for this episode, I give it a six. As others pointed out, the Starfleet members need a little practice time with their phasers. <laughs> My other complaint would be Jordy deciding to leave the Sung Golem unattended when there's a whole lot of lore stored inside it. I know it added that stretch of suspense where we were left hoping Data would take control, but I thought it was sloppy. Jordy isn't sloppy. There should have been a surprise physical confrontation. Lore could easily overtake two people when a moment presents itself. Thanks, Carol. Sandy Mickey said, felt like all the get ready for this huge guest star was overplayed to the point of massive disappointment to start the episode. Amanda Plummer was fab again, and I love the development of the Jack-Sydney relationship, but the rest was meh. I could actually pause this one and not mind when I got interrupted. I'd give it a six. Thanks, Sandy. Wendy Joanne Kanash said a 10 with an exclamation point. It was awesome on so many levels, but Amanda Plummer was over the top. How creepy can you get? She should win an Emmy. And finally, we have Clay Purvis, who says this episode is a solid 8.5. It pales a little compared to the previous episode that was just dripping with nostalgia and hit all the right buttons for me. That does not make 3.7 a bad episode by any means, but it hit a different range of feelings for me. It was very dark, tone, not lighting. There was a lot of necessary exposition. There was great tension, such as will Shaw still be alive when the turbo lift opens? And the scenes with Geordi and Data slash Lore were brilliant. With three episodes to go, this was clearly a setup episode. Clay Purvis uh, loved, uh, gave it an 8.5. Uh, he is expecting, I uh, just noticed that there's a little bit more. He says the whole season has been brilliant, and I'm already a little sad thinking that there are only three episodes to go. Episode 10 better be like three hours long. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally agree with you, Clay. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like a final three-hour movie. But you guys, this gives us a fan score this week, the lowest that we have seen by by a margin. Um, this was a fan score of 7.9 this week in our previous lowest was only an 8.6 that was last week's episode we had a couple of 8.9s before that but uh 7.9 is uh is a bit below what i would expect so yeah let's chat about it wow but first how about we do a little talking about some net reviews well that's a good idea As one of the fans said, there wasn't as much about the nostalgic in this episode. There was a couple of items I picked up, and one long one. You better get your pencil ready for that one. Uh, right off the beginning, let's start off with the Omega Directive from Voyager, Season 4, Episode 21. The experience with the call talk. 
which is a Vulcan game that we saw Tuvox playing with. And Seven were practicing with him, learning the game. Uh, Next Generation, Data Lore, Season 1, Episode 13. As we talk some of those first season episodes, we get a we get a uh, introduction to data to me not data lore's origin. I didn't realize we'd gotten lore that early, but we did. And then for DS9, we talk about the changeling virus put together by Section 31. And we start off with Season 4, Homefront, Episode 11, Paradise Lost, Episode 12, and Broken Link, Episode 26, all Season 4. Then we move on to Season 7, Treachery, Faith, and the Great River, Episode 6, Penumbra, Episode 17, When It Rains, Episode 21, Tackling Into the Wind, Episode 22. Extreme Measure, Episode 23. Dogs of War, Episode 24. And finally, What You Leave Behind, Episodes 25 and 26. Those were all Season 7 episodes. Putting together Season 4 and Season 7 about the virus that they put together trying to disrupt the changelings. And the cure that they were able that uh, Odo took back with them to the Great Lake. Thank you, Dr. Bashir. Yep. Even though they tried to lie that Odo took it in, I think it was the DS9 team that chose to let them live instead of having the virus taking them out. Well, but yeah, you remember that once, the, once Odo... Because remember, Odo contracts it and then um, Bashir cures Odo and then Odo touches the female changeling and gives her the cure and then it kind of like and then eventually spreads to the rest of the world. Well then he went Uh, to the didn't he go to the great I guess was it lake? Well he goes to to the great link at the yeah he does. Link. Yes. To go help spread the cure. Yeah. And then he goes back there at the end of the series, yeah. Yeah, he goes definitely back. Fans, if you, definitely he, fans, he if you haven't seen... Wearing a tuxedo, if I recall, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's that famous final moment in uh, What You Leave Behind. But it's the, it's the stuff that happens earlier with the virus that yeah. really plugs into to this stuff. If it's been yeah. a while since you've seen the Dominion War, it's worth going back and looking at. DS9 did a right. good job, and that season seven was a good season. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna hop on the Dominion War bandwagon, you can start in season four. But if you picked it up in season five, you'd pretty much get the gist. Um, although, you know, end of season four does have like Broken Link. That's a that's one of the key episodes. So yeah, I'd say if you need to watch Dominion War, at least start halfway through season four. And then you can kind of take it from there. Yeah, and that's very relevant to uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, by the way, which is why Charles brought it up. Um, exactly. Our cadet training. 
So uh, let's let's dive right in and and talk about Dominion. So it was the lowest scored episode, and if you notice that the episodes have been the scores have been dropping. Last week was was low. This week was even lower. I hope this isn't a trend um, that we're going to see. Hopefully, it mm. turns around and it starts going back up. Uh, one of my big concerns, what I'm worried about, is that I, I just don't want to see them get to the final episode and give us the old wham, bam, thank you, man, wrap it up, it's over, you're done. No, that's what I'm getting worried about. But that's we'll see what that what happens with that. But Dominion episode. So we get to see Tuvok again. And or do we? Or do we? He's a changeling. So does that mean that Tuvok is dead? Did they kill him? Well, I have a, I have a whole question about that in general, Jim, because like if if all of these people have been replaced by changelings yeah where are they somewhere or have they all been killed so like is for uh, yeah you you point is is tuvok dead you know is i don't know uh, right. no, i don't think so no i think he was i mean what are they suppression. gonna like... almost sound like they've got him in a prison or something because he was kind of given the idea i think for tuvok that his what his fate will be, not what his fate has be, ha, already become. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's dialogue where he's saying like he'll you know he'll you know like all like just like him all of you will see death as you know a relief or something like that. So it kind of implied that he's like at the threshold of death, but that they still have him and he hasn't dead yet. Mm-hmm. But they kind so of you know the imposter yeah. wanted you to think that he was about dead so so here, here's a question regarding all the characters that they've been bringing in like tuvok and of course world gone now but i mean if he would have survived maybe the whole situation that since this is supposed to be like the final adventure for the tng crew are they going to be bringing all of these characters back as actual characters and not changelings? Like at the very last moment, they're going to be doing like some sort of like, you know, trying to beat the changelings and all, working all together. And I don't know. I guess we'll get the answer at the end of the episode uh, series. But I mean, I don't think Tuvok is dead. I think he's still alive. Well, I think I heard that, that... I heard an interesting I heard an interesting comment on one of the Facebook pages that I was on, I think it was the Facebook page, where somebody mentioned there was a YouTuber out there who had seen all ten episodes. And they said the comment, his response was, episode ten did a good job of wrapping up the final story. Hmm. And, you know, we also know, because he's been... um, Tim Russ has been pretty out there on social media, right? And he talks very frankly about he appears in two episodes. So, two? Yeah. So, I mean, we're not just seeing this. So at some point we're going to either, you know, I think we have not seen the last. And, and, you know, also who did he mention that, you know, at, during that point when they're talking about, oh, preparations for uh, Frontier Day and uh, a certain high-ranking yeah, individual. Swear to God, yeah. Yeah. I think for a changeling, I am going to hit the roof. Yeah, but you know, green money. We're going to end up seeing that individual at some point. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd bet money on it, and, without, and it's probably in a really cool way. <laughs> well, everyone might temporarily be, but I, I suspect not, just because of who that character is. I think that would yeah. be a bad call. I would not 
right are we talking about admiral janeway wow dude yeah. just you said it <laughs> you do say, he said it out loud man it's like, right out there through the halibut right on the dock didn't you holy, ah, yeah that's right spoiler alert <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you figure it's like anytime a character's name is mentioned right on the show i mean odds are super good that there's some reason they're mentioned and so probably they're going to show up at some point right so i and you know they've they've the show's been quite generous in terms of giving us bringing back folks who we didn't expect to see like Roe and stuff like that. So um, I, I, I'm, but of course we're, everything is pointing towards frontier day. Right. And we know that Janeway is to, you know, involved in planning that. So if we do see her, it's going to be in like the penultimate or final episode where we're actually, you know, for whatever reason at frontier day, yada, 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 big finish third act excitement. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But it's so kind of cool to quick, contemplate. I hope we see her. So here's a quick quiz for you guys. Um, in terms of story for Picard Season 3, who can tell me what Frontier Day is without Googling it? It's the end of well, the 250. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 250th no, of Starfleet. Yeah. No. No, wasn't it the uh, launch of the Enterprise? Well, it is no. the two. At least, uh, yeah. Memory Alpha does say that it was the that it's the 250th anniversary of Starfleet. Um, but that's interesting because I feel like that's not a question that everybody would be able to answer. I think feel like Frontier, Frontier Day has become a buzzword, and we don't even most of the time know what it is anymore. Because <laughs> we heard it first I, referenced on Strange New Worlds, right? Oh, did where we? everyone had their. Well, I'm remembering the episode where everyone was oh. wearing. A pip that represented the first ship they served. Oh yeah, was that a different? And I think that yeah. was why were they doing it? Why were they wearing their insignia of a ship that they first Did trained they on? Mention because Frontier? in celebration of Frontier Day. Oh, I thought it was a, a celebration of memory of those who we lost. So. No, I don't think so. No, I mean, that's no, what I remember, was, dude. No, I think David's right. I think it's. I think it's. Um, it was honoring like members of previous ships that you. Something like that. It was. It had something to do with people who had been on previous commissions, previous ships, and the people that hmm. they had lost. I'm pretty sure. We'll have to look that up. I tell you. I what. know. I feel like I need to Google it right now. <laughs> Google. <laughs> well, you know, if some lucky fan goes to TrekTalking.com and leaves us a really interesting message and wins a copy of Strange New World season one, there's over a hundred minutes of extra footage and stuff on there. And they can look it up, and they can let us know, right? There you go. <laughs> yeah. Pretty easy. Because we won't move on until they do watch that and call us, right? We're going <laughs> to stay right We're going to stay right okay, here. We're still trumming our fingers on the table, waiting patiently. Have you finished watching yet? Do you know there's a fast-forward button on your remote there, Sonny? Come on. All right. So moving on from Tupac, yeah. what do you want to talk about next, Jim? Yeah. So I, I, I noticed that uh, – Beverly Crusher turned around at, at when when Vatic. Well, first of all, let's talk about Vatic. Oh, man, let's talk about Vatic. Let's talk about Vatic because I'm I'm kind of, you know, I'm with the fans on this one actually. But there were two things that just blew me away in this episode. Let's talk about the first one. That's Vatic. Um, she just kicked the living crap out of her scenes when she's talking about being captured, uh, being tortured on the station by Section 31, uh, taking the face of, the, of her torturer 
as a, a reminder of her hatred. I mean, that whole that whole thing was just like wow, and it kind of it kind of gives you a, a different light that during the Dominion War, the Federation <laughs> captured nine changelings, which which uh, wow, that that in itself is a feat. it was ten, they, right? They, it was ten. I thought she said uh, her and nine. Well, yeah, her and nine would be ten, yeah. right? Oh, um, okay. <laughs> yeah, she said nine of my brother. Oh, so yeah, yep. so the nine plus her. Yeah, she's the ten. She's the ten. They captured ten changelings. That is mind-boggling. They had them, and the Federation was torturing them and doing like these inhumane experiments on them. Well, that was Section Thirty-One, not Starfleet. <laughs> You know, well, Jim, I mean, ever since its inception, like in a lot of ways, way back in DS9, when it was introduced, Section 31 has kind of been a problem because it acknowledges that the that there is an arm of our benevolent military, utopian military that we all know and love that is willing to do the same stuff that the like the CIA does for the United States government, right? It does all of the dirty stuff. And it tries to justify it in the name of um, upholding Federation ideals, um, keeping enemies at bay, much in the same way our own CIA does that. But, man, I have never seen a series that has done a better job. And granted, uh, Section 31 has only been on three series so far, right? They, they talked about them, uh, obviously, on DS9. They talked about them on Enterprise, and then they talked about them on Discovery. And we've never, um, you know, all, all we see is outcomes from Section 31 that are positive, this is the first time that we kind of see like the really ugly, ugly, ugly underbelly of Section 31. And that to me is, is like combined with Amanda Plummer's performance on that front is like that's a 13 out of 10 for me. Like that just takes it and says, okay, we're going to give you utopia. We're going to say that there's a dark side to utopia, and here's what it looks like. And are you comfortable with that? And to me, Star Trek is always at its best when it's asking that question, are you comfortable with what's happening right now? And to me, this like performance of hers is just it's absolutely masterful, and it really drives home in a pretty clear way the fact that no, like torture of, <laughs> of sentient beings is not really okay, and if you do it, Here's what you're going to get, right? Congratulations. You made your own monster. Um, yeah. And I think really – uh, Yeah, go ahead. It's, I was just going to say it's a good thing to point out because I feel like there was another scene that was like right on the heels of that that, that seemed to me to be exploring that same kind of theme that you talk about, man, about like, okay, what are we comfortable doing? Right, because I mean I just – unless I really misinterpreted the scene because a lot of it was nonverbal. Yeah. Right. In terms of the scene when Vatic is their prisoner at the end. Right. And who is she a prisoner of? Beverly and Picard. Okay. And they're talking about the potential of losing their son together. And there's a unification there is a unity between the two of them. Right. And it sure seemed to me because we've just already had a scene earlier where Beverly is talking about, you know, the moral implications of of 
how she thinks they can get rid of the changelings, right? The new evolved changelings, but in a way that to her is like, well, we're kind of talking genocide here. And they're like, well, we'll deal with it later. But what, not that scene so much, but later when they have Vatic prisoner, it sure seems to me like she and Picard with all the close-ups of their phasers in their hands are talking oh, about yeah. compromising their morals to just execute her right then yep. and there, which is like, whoa, and they grab decide the emergency break. They agree to do it. They are, like Vatic is literally saved by the bell. They agree literally, to do it. The and they only reason they the didn't do it is because Vatic had a chance to, to you know, uh, reverse go down the drain through the ceiling, right? There's a, to, to suddenly escape. But they, they, they're, you're telling us there that our two moral compasses on the show were going to, you know, if that's not the Section 31 playbook, I don't know what is. So, yeah. I mean, I was just really out of context or out of character for me, especially for Beverly. I mean, I know the whole defending your child thing is, is a theme that they really want to have be front and center here. But it was just kind of shocking given the long history of Picard always taking the high ground morally and ethically in every situation. He's the, he's the acme of that. And to have him just suddenly, it was just, did that shock you, Eric? I mean, was that like, well, you know, I will, I will tell you that I know, I know what you're saying. And I understand that it feels out of character. For me, it necessarily it wasn't necessarily out of character because to me, I mean, you as a father know that nothing will um, get under your skin or mean as much to you as stuff that has to do with your kid, right? Like you will move oh, totally. heaven and earth to do anything for your kid. And so to me, it's not that surprising that if there's going to be a time that Beverly and Picard are going to, you know, uh, turn against their typical characters is going to be related to their child. I mean, isn't that the easy route? Isn't that the low-hanging fruit? And isn't that the thing that we normally pick as human beings? Wouldn't we normally say, well, shit, why wouldn't I just kill the person? Because um, that just makes my life so much easier, and it just takes the problem out of the equation. Like, that to me is the brilliance of this, because we see our two heroes make that decision and thank goodness it is like it is stopped. And I hope that what we have then, if the writers are good enough in the next three episodes, at some point we should have a conversation between those two or some sort of resolution of the fact that they both decided to kill an individual before that individual was saved by the bell, no matter how bad she is. Right. Yeah. You, it seems like there has to be some, you know, uh, revisiting that moment where, where yeah. there's a recognition or ideally for me, some, regret about like you know that, that they were, were about to do that yep. or some acknowledge acknowledging that it was out of character for them and it was yep. you know that that they were so you know uh, uh zealous in their desire to protect that they were willing to just basically commit murder to justify it right yeah. so i mean it's 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 a dark I mean, thing if somebody it's a dark was like, moment. like like it's hard to like put yourself in this kind of context because we don't deal with this sort of stuff on a normal basis but like if a person was hunting your child would you kill that person to stop them from hunting your child and i think most parents at least in the united states would say yeah i i would absolutely take care of that uh and stop yeah, them well, we're the most child. violent society on the face of the well earth. that's what so i like i'm i'm saying what i'm saying from that context for sure paul and i i i fully acknowledge that that's absolutely true. i don't believe that people 
in some other countries would make the same decision, right? <laughs> but like in yeah. this country, most people are just gonna like be like, nope, gotta get rid of the problem, take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. And okay. Of uh, that for I, it, though, Jim, I wanted to mention before, before you jump in, Jim. I did some research, and directly from an interview from Terry Metallus. Metallus. The Frontier Day is the 256th anniversary celebrating when the Annex 01 went out into space and de facto birthed the modern Starfleet. So it is based on the launch of the Annex 01 and the first episode of Enterprise. Not the end of Enterprise, the beginning of Enterprise. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's not. There's something that that is. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure because uh, we know Starfleet was 2161. We know uh, the NX was launched. Uh, I guess 240. What did you say? 2201. What year was it launched? Because we're in 2401, uh, right? So it must have been like 2056. No. Oh, in Enterprise, I kept thinking they were saying the start date was 2151 or start date 2151. Right, 2150, right. It's like 2150-something uh, because Starfleet is 2161, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. 20, I got it. 20, yep, 2151. But, you know, here's a question for you, and this is totally off the rails, right? But it's just like, okay, Frontier Day. Right, if we're gonna if we're gonna go there, right? Idea. It, it doesn't seem like just the most. It's it's such maniacal hubris, right? I mean, it's just, it we're really talking about is. being this enlightened. It feels very. I mean, you were just okay. Yeah. A whole couple of days ago, right? It was yeah. uh, was it just yesterday that was first contact day, right? And a lot of us are seeing clips and revisiting dialogue from that movie, which is, I think, frankly, Star Trek at its best. And one of the things on there is during the great dialogue scene with Alfred Woodard and uh, Patrick Stewart, where he's like talking about what happened to mankind. He goes, we no longer put the acquisition of wealth as our driving purpose, right? And he's talking about how people evolve. Well, doesn't Frontier Day seem like a gigantic, egotistical, like waste of time and resources? I mean, it's just like, who would do this? What it's just, it's all, you know, it's like, hey, let's have a parade because we're all Boy Scouts. I mean, it's just, it's preposterous. I have to tell it, it you, at all... this point in our evolution, why would they waste all of those resources and, and, and nonsense? It just seems totally preposterous to me. And Paul, I think this is a thing about Star Trek Picard because Star Trek Picard in its three seasons has always done a better job of character writing, individual like interaction writing than it has done with overall arc writing. Like in my yeah. opinion. Like see the I, 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 two, I, I still agree with no, you. I, I still have no idea what happened in season two. But I do remember some very interesting character interactions that I really liked here and there. And this season is kind of turning out to be the same. Like, Frontier Day doesn't make any sense from a Starfleet standpoint. You're absolutely right. It's all hubris. Well, you got to remember that that the changelings obviously are the ones that are in command and have orchestrated this whole thing because Geordi's against it. So So this is like the final nail in the coffin of Starfleet because half the changelings or half the ships that show up are going to be run by changelings anyway. 
And right. then the other half that show up are going to be destroyed by the ships that are run by changelings. So the so Frontier Day. <laughs> so, but to Paul's point, like when when would it be a good idea for an entity like Starfleet to want to parade around their ships to whip up the masses? Like that feels very Stalinist to me. You know, yeah, like, it's, just, it's a little Third Reichy. You know, yeah, you know, with your yeah. missile trucks going down, you know, yeah. down the, well, uh, but we like don't know how, oh, don't ahead, know how long the changelings have been involved. But I mean, this is, it could be, it could be an internal plan from, van, from the changelings in attempt to destroy the fleet. But wouldn't yeah, you think that people along the way who aren't changelings would be like, dudes, this is super anti-Starfleet. And wouldn't you think? I don't know. Well, I, I well, that's the thing. It's because yeah. the, the changelings have gone so up high in rank that yeah, nobody questions that they're them. That's the yeah. problem. With making but this question them. So it, yeah. So to me, I, I I do really think that it has something to do with Starfleet. I mean, not Starfleet. It has something to do with the changeling because this hasn't happened every year. This is the first thing that happened, and I believe like what Jim well, had mentioned. Well, it's the 250th anniversary. I mean, that's. I why. know, but they said they'd never have. This is the first time they've been doing this. Oh, okay. This is the first time it has actually it's about to happen, and like what Jim mentioned, the Geordi was against it because even Geordi mentioned that it's a it's a waste of time of resources in one of the other <laughs> well, episodes. So he also says it's a bad idea to have so much of the fleet at Sector Zero Zero. He also yeah. said and to have them linked the together. He also was against that. Together. That's right. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah so, can I talk to... about something a little different just, just well, to get us I, off in a different place? Well, or are we still on this one? No, I wanted to make a point here. I wanted to ask you guys, when did Starfleet officers attend the Stormtrooper School of Shooting and Missing? <laughs> um, because up to this point, We've seen changelings disintegrate left and right and right and left, but all of a sudden in this episode, Beverly, well, particularly Beverly and Picard, have a, have Baddock a foot and a half away from them. They fire 29 shots each, miss every single time. We have Starfleet crew running down a hallway shooting at changelings, can't hit the broadside of a barn. And I'm thinking, what are these stormtroopers from Star Wars? When did Starfleet forget how to shoot? You know, uh, <laughs> I think I mean, that they did hit. They just a uh, resistance a little bit, I guess. I don't know. That whole scene with Vatic shooting up the ceiling kind of bothered me. I, I think they should have handled it a little differently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they but, they missed like like they had their eyes closed or something. I don't know. No, well, it was off camera too, but I think they were hitting. It's just that because at the very last moment, you did see a couple of shots hit the changeling as she went up, but. I mean, even down the hallway, they were hitting. It's just that every now and then, for some I mean, reason, it didn't bother them, I guess. To tell you the truth, Jim, like, things like whether somebody hits or misses with a phaser shot matter very little to me, and they don't necessarily, like, pull me out of the story too much. It didn't really well, so, Be- so Beverly and Picard standing two feet away from a, 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 the, the character – shooting at point-blank range and missing every time as she goes up the up the ceiling. I'm the only yeah. one that found that to be an issue? No, I did. I, I, it kind I, of bugged me a little bit because I, I, it was really bad writing, I think, in a way. 
I just but there's been so know. much just, nonsensical phaser shooting with the force fields and the bird people being trapped and various drop alpha, <laughs> drop beta, drop omega. I mean, it was just like at this point, I was just like if I saw if I never saw another handheld phaser shot again, it'd be too soon. I mean, it was just it was, <laughs> I was just numb by it. I'm like, there's okay, just so much on, else going on in the story that that has nothing to do with phasers. Like I I'm not even paying attention yeah. to who's getting shot by yeah. phasers. I don't it's I don't just, care. Just tedious, tedious. Um, so you know, we talked about. Other, I wanted to talk about what I thought was good. The other well, thing I thought was good was Jordy, and I don't know what I want to call him. Data lore before, before data lore. That's what um, I wanted to talk about too. <laughs> yeah, whatever I, I want that, to call that, him. Lore, you yeah. got to call him lore. I think to a huge degree because he's got the best dialogue, right? When he's emerging as lore, right? Because it's just it's, he had a couple of great ones right in a row, right? Where he's just like. That would explain why you're so old. He's just, you know, he's just so, <laughs> my utter revulsion of your ancient face. I mean, he's just, it's being lore just in his cruelest way. And it's, it's really interesting to show the lore, dynamic because what's always great about the show, and I'm glad that they're finally giving it some, some, some you know, uh, some service, is the relationship between uh, Data and Geordi, that friendship, right, is really powerful. And I think a real big thing about what Next Gen is and what's weird for me on this is how fearful and reluctant to act Jordy is on this show, right? He's just super. I know it's a whole, oh, I have, I'm a parent now, and I just don't rock the boat, and gee whiz. And he's practically saying we should just give up. Maybe we should stop hiding and just give up. I mean, I'm a, Jordy, who are you? That's just so weird. But then it's like he, when he's talking to Data again, trying to connect with him, it's like he starts remembering things and he starts talking about how Data made it, his friendship with Data made him a better man, made him a better person. And I think he's starting to become less hesitant after connecting with him. He wants to connect with Data again. I feel like he's almost feels like he's not complete without that friendship of Data being back in his life again. So I found their scenes really really interesting together and they have such a long history as actors being able to generate good moments um i'm hoping for a lot more of those two together because to me it's just that's that's the beating heart of what i love about next gen uh you know those scenes and the scenes with tuvok and seven at the beginning were just gold those are my favorite scenes from last week those were all really really good and we talked about this many times but did you guys watch the ready room with tim russ I hope. Yes, yes. Did you I try not to the watch one? the Ready Room because they give away too much, and it's they telegraph stuff way too much. So I tried only to watch it when the show's over. I mean, the series is over, but I don't. They, they there's so much press talking and and super heavy telegraphing. It's like I don't want to know everything, right? I want to have some of the well, mystery preserved. So I, I actually don't watch it. Well, okay. So excluding Paul. Did you guys notice the one episode that Tim Russ said he's always asked about every time he's in a public place? Yes. Yeah. And that's been a discussion even on our show. We've talked about it on our show many times. And everywhere he goes, Eric, what's the one episode everyone wants to talk about? Well, it's one of the best episodes of Voyager, whether you think so or not. I'm right on this. It's Tuvix. I'm sorry. It's a great episode. Yeah. Yep, it's Tuvix. He he. Everyone wants to talk about Tuvix, and that's true. And he mentioned it on the Ready Room, and I thought, wow, that's great. We talked about that on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I okay. thought it was great. Hashtag Janeway was wrong. Sense, 
two of the biggest episodes we've discussed on Star Trek. And that being Tuvix and Measure of a Man. Yeah. Human yeah. rights. Well, you know, it's interesting that um, what Paul was saying about Jordy in this season, because I almost wish that Jordy had been, I mean, I know this is just looking back nostalgia, but I wish that Jordy had been part of the season one story, because to me, what turned a lot of people off in season one was that they brought in so many new characters and maybe didn't have this nostalgia factor. I think that when, when you know, Paramount said, I'm going to make, or we're going to make a series called Star Trek Picard, everybody said, oh, great we get all the people from Picard's life. And there was a lot of Soji in season one. There was a lot of characters that we didn't know. And I think some people kind of wished that they had had more of characters that were familiar. And given that season one story revolved around um, Data's uh, passing over the Rainbow Bridge, so to speak, to not have Jordy part of that story was almost a travesty because Jordy obviously was Data's best friend from day one. Yeah. And so it's very nice to have him in season three. I kind of wish he had been part of the story earlier, but yeah, here we are. But their friendship is so great, right? And it's just so it's, great. If, if there's anything that helps Data, I can't remember what they called it, but like there's like a buffer or a thing separating the personalities. They, they had some name for it. Uh, last week, I can't remember, but if there's anything that helps uh, data overcome yeah, lore's, yeah. you know, dominance, it's going to be his friendship with Jordy. Totally. I, I, I really believe that. And I, I personally think that lore and data will kind of find, you know, a yin yang, you know, fusion together, really. Cause, That'd be amazing. I mean, doesn't, doesn't that seem like what would make the character great and worth exploring in the future is just because we've all got a dark side. You know, nobody's all white and nobody's all dark, right? I mean, to, to have that, you know, conflict inner, it's like, like with Spock, right? With half human, half Vulcan. That's an interesting character. And I think that's probably where it'll land, maybe with Data having a little bit more of the high ground because of his connection and fondness for people. I don't think Lore is fond of people, right? He doesn't oh, have any of those oh, relationships. But, no, 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 no. Allure is absolutely fond of people. He is fond of exploiting people. He is he is fond of fond yeah. people. Like yeah, he doesn't have affection Lore, for them. He doesn't care he has, about anybody. They're, they're um, puppets to him that he well, plays no, no, no. with. Is there anybody right. that he loves? No, no. But without His them, father? what would he be? So to me, like he he finds people to be like a necessary part of the equation. And even though he messes with them, he would be completely lost without. It. So I agree with you, Paul. It, we already put the data story to bed in season one, a very beautiful send off as far as I was concerned. So the data that we have now, if he does not evolve, why was he brought back? So there must be mm -hmm. a melding of data and lore. Absolutely. Now is, cool. is I wanted to ask this question is, is lol in there too? Yeah. Did, and before didn't data save yeah. uh, when, he saved Law after she built yeah. D four data, lore and uh Law and Law and Soon, right? They're all mingling yeah. in there. So it's like a it's like yep. a giant minestrone soup. Yeah, and it's well and what would be cool is like so far we've gotten a lot of data and we've gotten a lot of lore, right? We we get the like kind of like multiple personality disorder switcheroo thing happening. But what would be cool would be to have some more subtle influences of like Lal 
written into it, you know, her curiosity, her like um, her innocence at not understanding certain things. Like it would be fun to see that side of that personality that somehow is buried deep in there as well. Because we've only seen yeah. two of the four so far. Right. Law, pretty much data and lore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen any law. We haven't seen any simplicity, any like base level um, question asking that B4 would do, right? B4, B4 basically couldn't understand things without asking a question, and then you could almost see him calculating things. It would be so cool to see Brent Spiner in one scene do like all four characters. Ooh, I'd be into that. Hmm. No, he he nails it. He's he he nails it for sure. He's really great. He's really delightful. I I really enjoy watching him work. Isn't there five characters? I think we're forgetting Shun. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't really what. count when they when they actually talk about. So, if you want to get technical, when they talk about the android, they talk about the fact that it's really four components, but that Sung is actually providing the kind of obviously the overall thing. And when you say Sung. You know, are you talking about Alton? Are you talking about Eric? Are you ta- which song? And presumably, you're talking about the most the most recent song. But I think that song personality, like he designed Data to look like him. The whole thing is song, right? So I don't even really count that. <laughs> yeah, it's like whatever song left there. that recorded yeah. video message, right? Yeah, yeah that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. That was Eric, right? Uh, Eric I think it was Eric. Yeah, Alton. Yeah. I thought it was no, Alton. No, no, Alton. I don't Alton, know because Eric's from Enterprise days. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Can we ask another question? <laughs> Who's the floating skull dude that is always appearing and churning in midair and talking to Vatic? I mean, it seems to me whenever you have a character like that that's mysterious and you can't identify them, right? They're deliberately kind of vague looking, that they're going to be revealed to be someone we know. Mm-hmm. Does anyone else think that that's the case? Why is the, why is that the cheese head living in her hand? I think there are many questions left unanswered. I mean, Paul, you know the the pervade. There are some, many theories online, many pervading. There theories. are. No. Yeah. Well, I, don't I hate, know if I hate online theories. No, no, I don't like <laughs> online theories. Okay, well, I don't. We don't have to talk about it, but I will tell you that the the like the most intricate, intricately woven theories that I have heard so far typically involve uh, the PA rates, and if you will remember the deep, uh, the end of Deep Space Nine, we get Gul Dukat possessed by the PA rays, uh, Bicard- becoming part of that whole situation with Kai Wen, and like, you know, battling against the Celestial Temple and this and that. So, I mean, the Red Eyes have kind of been a giveaway as far as I'm concerned from the beginning. Um, that that there might be some Deep Space Nine wormhole stuff involved here. What we haven't seen is we haven't seen the station. We haven't heard any references to the station. I'm really curious, is Deep Space Nine still out there? Are the Bajorans Mm. still occupying the station? Is it still, like, one of the places, one of the most important places in the entire, you know, quadrant? Um, Is Hmm. Bajor part of the Federation? Uh, I would hope that they are. Uh, Man, I really want to see Kira now. I know, me too, right? Nana, visitor, can you imagine if she shows up next three episodes? <laughs> Blow my mind. Well, I think they are because Lower Decks visited Deep Space Nine. Yeah, but they're in a different time <gasps> oh. frame. Well, they, that's no. right. This is Well, well it's, 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 it's a little later. 
It's not too much later, but it is later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's a little bit later, but yeah, not, it's like not... it's like ten or twenty years later. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's not, yeah. not it's a like lot. Twenty. So to answer your question about the blue face or the skeleton, I think it's Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, there have been a lot of theories that like the face is Golducott, and that that because, would be cool because Golducott was like possessed by the Pa Rays at the end of Deep Space Nine. That that perhaps he's the one steering the boat. But I will tell you that like Golducott for me, like I'm Deep Space Nine is I love Deep Space Nine. Golducott for me is far from the the most compelling Cardassian on the show. And um, I'm really hoping that it's not him. <laughs> I'm hoping well, that it like I'm okay with Pares, but I just hope it's not Ducat, man. Well, it would be an interesting story plot to because uh, isn't Gold Ducat trying to escape the Celestial or the the pa, or whatever they call that Pares the uh, prisonment? I mean, he kind of yeah, got in there from Cisco. He did, and that yeah. that explains why the head kind of looks a little demonic in a way. Yeah. So, yeah. You think there's any chance that it's the Cisco? (laughs) I hope not. I I know Paul looks like Dexter, but but we're Star Trek fans. That's what we do. We we Trek babble this stuff. Going to stick with my original plot theory. You like the theory, huh? Yeah. And and I'm going to say one thing here. I don't watch it with the um, uh, uh, closed captions on. Um, somebody said that the, that the closed captions, the voice, it said Beverly's voice on the closed captions. Yes, it does. I went back and checked it, and it did. But but I was in a chat room, and somebody said that when it, when it first aired, the first time it was like they drop it in the middle of the night or whatever, and that the closed captions actually said Borg Queen, and they changed it to Beverly. So huh. um, that just reaffirmed, you know. But uh, but what what baffles me about that whole thing is we've never ever seen a Borg take control of people and teleport their essence like Jack is capable of doing. That throws me off. But We'll see. We'll Can see. we talk about well, that whole situation with Jack controlling uh, Sydney there? Because when ever in Star Trek have we ever seen that before? Yeah, so That's the answer to that baffling. question, David, Paw Wraiths. Like, the very first time that we see a Paw Wraith is in Deep Space Nine, and one of them takes control of Keiko, and Keiko tries to convince, I don't remember what the name of the episode is, but Keiko tries to convince O'Brien to get to configure the station in such a way such as to shoot like a chronoton beam or some sort of temporal disrupting oh. thing at the wormhole to um, to like kill the prophets in the celestial temple. So we've actually seen the Pares uh. possess a human being before in the form of Keiko. Yeah. I think that's an but episode called we... The Assignment, if I remember. It could be, yeah. But haven't what? we seen the prophets appear as normal people? Well, the prophets always appear in Cisco's visions as people that he knows. 
um, you know, people from his normal life. We've never seen a prophet appear as somebody that he doesn't know, but we've seen Pa-Wraiths appear as, um, like Pa-Wraiths possessed Dukat eventually, right? That was the whole thing with the yeah, end of the Deep okay. Space Nine series. So, like, Pa-Wraiths are absolutely capable of possessing other people. The question is that, like, if if that's connected to Jack Crusher, Jack Crusher's thing only kicks in when changelings are around. And so what's that connection? Like, is, is he a, um, you know, is he playing for the good guys or the bad guys is still kind of a fundamental question for me, because to me, he might actually be in a, like a changeling slayer, so to speak, you know, but like hmm. are the changelings working with the paw rays or are they working against the paw? I don't know. And 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 maybe it's got nothing to do with the Pares. I'm just going on what I know about Deep Space Nine and like the similarities that I'm seeing to what's happening right now. Interesting. It, it is, and hopefully they have a good explanation it, for us. But it's been interesting to look at Jack and her, and Jack creating a psychic link to her. And that's what I think is happening is he's gotten some kind of psychic link, which I believe Betazoid and Vulcans have used. But it's like a controlling thing. Do you think that's different? I don't um, think he's controlling. I think he's he's getting in her mind and helping her. I don't think uh, he was controlling her. uh Because I think he was giving her directions. Not making her do something, telling her what to do to help defeat that creature. Well, the interesting thing about that, though, is that he was mimicking every move that she was doing. So it almost seemed like he was controlling. And when they're done, she actually kind of acts like she doesn't understand what just happened. Like, And she also mentioned that, how did you get into my mind? Or were you just in my mind or something like that? Yeah. But look at the look at the uh, turbo lift incident, where I think he was hearing her thoughts. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe he should touch my hand, and I think he heard her say that, and he yeah. did. So, so do I you think, think there is some kind of psychic link there? So do you yeah, that was all a little odd, just the way because it's Sydney, right? Sydney LaForge with her, yeah, yeah. the one. No. Yeah, it's like she's the, the only person who's having this kind of like first-person voiceover thought narration, right? Which was like it kept reminding me of you know everybody in David Lynch's Dune. <laughs> they're like yeah. they're constantly thinking their thoughts. Are you think. who I think you are? Deep thoughts. Yeah. What's going on? You know, it was it was a little odd, you know, and. Uh, Interesting. How are they doing? Huh. Yeah, what's the, what What do we think the deal is with that? Well, yeah. I mean, Star Trek's not big on, on taking away people's individual decisions and making them, you know, slaves of someone else. That's not a, that's not a Star Trek trait unless you're talking no, about those psychic people from Plato's stepchildren, maybe, or... No, but uh, or <laughs> Friday's child or something. No, no, no. Yeah. So, but so Jim, let's talk about the whole like Sydney LaForge uh, Jack Crusher thing, right? Because there's absolutely a um, budding relationship going on here that is not 
100% platonic, I don't think, and I think that's a wonderful thing. It seems to me that, like, these two find each other interesting on um, on multiple levels. Jack Crusher actually tries to get to know her a little bit more and sort of <laughs> fails in the questions that he's asking her and this sort of thing, which I think is hilarious. Um, but to me, uh, the the connection that they make during that scene where they sort of share the same, you know, kung fu moves speaks to the fact that they both find each other interesting and maybe there's a trust factor. And that's why, to me, I'm pretty sure that in the end, Jack Crusher is not a bad guy. I think he's going to be a good guy. I think he's going to be like, you know, the the sort of Luke Skywalker to this whole situation, and he's going to bring balance to the Force, whatever it is. I don't know. He does see this red door with, with tentacles coming out of it, yeah. which yeah. we don't know what's behind that door or what the significance of the door is. Uh, if I remember correctly, he saw Seven come out of that door, didn't he? Um, he didn't see her come. No, he didn't see her come out of the door. He saw visions of the city. He saw visions of the door, and then he saw a vision of Seven standing in the corridor, and all those weird like vine things grew around Seven. But but I I wouldn't necessarily say that Seven was like standing in front of the red door. I didn't I didn't equate Seven with the red door at all in that scene myself. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Right, because like when they show her, she's she's standing in a corridor, and you actually see the background of the corridor that starts to grow with those weird like red vine things, whatever they. <laughs> I don't, we should come up with a name for the. Has anybody on licorice whip? Yeah, I don't consider him I don't consider as much vines as veins. Veins, okay, yeah. We get sort of a vein effect. They're kind of creating veins. Yeah, uh, I could absolutely. So to me, that uh, has always had an organic kind of overtone to it, which now that we know that they're bringing the changeling virus into the discussion makes a lot of sense. And actually where I think this is maybe eventually going, don't you think that the changelings have come up with a way to take this virus and turn it against humans? Like, I think that's what's going to happen here. I think that Jack Crusher's, like, visions of all these terrible red things are that the virus, whatever it did to this group of changelings, that is somehow going to have an effect on human beings. And not just taking over their bodies, like the way that a changeling would, but I think there's going to be, like, a virus thing here, too. Because, like, as many changelings as you have, you can't can you take over everybody's body? I mean, I guess you'd have to have one changeling for every single person in Starfleet, right? Yeah, pretty much. Unless he's, like, carrying the virus, and he that's why they want him. Well, that's because, what I'm saying. Is I, yeah, yeah, okay. Go ahead. Oh, but I was just saying, I was agreeing with you, basically, that he, yeah, he yeah. could be the carrier, basically, and that's why they want him back, so that they can release the virus on Frontier Day, and nobody's wiser. Or he's the one person who can actually stop the virus, cure the virus. 
Well, Vatic did say, if you guys recall, Vatic did say at the end of the episode, she said that Jack wasn't for for her and wasn't for Beverly. Yeah. He was for Cheeseface. <clears throat> but what about um, bringing Deanna into this? Do you think the psychic connection between Jack and Sydney has anything to do with uh, Betazoids or or Deanna or anything like that. So let's, let's talk about that for a second. So last week we get, we get teased with Deanna. And then this week we don't see her at all. Nothing of Deanna or Worf yeah. or Rafi. They're just, they're just, just gone. Well, just uh, this week's episode, they did, or not this week, but last week's episode, uh, they did mention that Worf and Rafi were off doing their own mission somewhere, so that's why they weren't in this episode. Yeah. They were I'm cool with that, that guys. They were I just feel it was like a real, to, to end the previous week's episode with that, you know, big reveal of Deanna, right, and have the crisis moment of, oh, God, what do I do from... Uh, from Riker, is she a changeling? Is it really Deanna? You know, we're all thinking that. And then to go She's an not. entire week and not resolve that, to not have that be the first scene <laughs> of this week's episode where that's resolved, is kind of going against, you know, the Torah of pretty much every TV dynamic that there is. I thought well, that was well, a real well, 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 no, 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 no. No, because it is, all it does is build interest for the series to skip an episode and make you wait until the one afterwards to actually tell you the answer. Mm, <laughs> I found it annoying as hell. But, I thought, I thought oh, really, that's a cheat. Okay. That's yeah. a cheat. Yeah, well, I didn't I, like that. I, I heard Vatic mention about trying to get information from the prisoners, plural, without success. Oh. I kind of oh. hint to thinking that's the two of them that she's got held captive on the ship. And she's well, trying to figure out, she get them to figure out, to find out where Picard is, which so not they're, being successful. So they're getting their Imzadi on while they're waiting in the yeah, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Deleted scene. <laughs> You're going to have to get the 4K steelbook to see that, Eric. <laughs> That, that's the end, that's the MC17 version. <laughs> do that role, do that will, do that role play where you're the Mugatu again. <laughs> be the Horda, baby. Be the Horda. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. No kill eye. Oh, oh my God. Family Killing friendly me. now. Was <laughs> um, very. Yeah. Kind of depends on the family, doesn't it? Oh, well. We're going to be rated out pretty soon. We all have our own ways. <laughs> you know, it's we've the you know our compasses askew because John Luke Picard said the f word, so it's just like anything. Oh my god! Out, so, so what do you guys think about the fan like reaction to that? I saw so many fans absolutely freaking out about the fact that he said the f word, and I will say that it felt a, a little unnatural to me the way that it was written, but it didn't bug me that he said the word. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, yeah. Tilly dropped it on Discovery. Uh, before. Yeah, but it's but it's but it's, it's fair. But it's, yeah, but Tilly's no John Luke Picard. This is John Luke Picard. What no, do you think? Like, <laughs> I mean, has William Shatner ever said that on his original series or movies? Never. Never. Yeah. Uh, Only way he saw which conventions well, no, his agent actually, booked him at. Right. <laughs> he gets, he gets Shatner. It's like what uh, what bleep my father says. 
Yeah, I mean, Shatner has said a lot of crazy stuff that didn't involve the yeah. bomb that was probably it, way worse. Uh, again, so. it, got, it, it seemed out of character for, you know, I didn't, I didn't see a lot of negative fan reaction because I try to not, you know, get, get too exposed to it. But uh, I can see how there would be because there's such knee-jerk reaction these days to things that, pe- that don't match up with people's pre-expectations, right? I mean, we see that over and over again with, in science fiction constantly. Um, it seemed a little out of character for him, for me, but then a lot of how they write Picard seems out of character for him, for me, because like we were just talking about the scene with him and Beverly, it just doesn't seem like the ethics above all John Luke Picard, right? So, but I think they were just trying to show that, okay, it's extreme situation, they all feel like they're going to die in this nebula, and he's just really at his wit's end, right? So, you know, I think that, you know, they want it to be a darker, I mean, they've always wanted Picard to be darker, the next gen, right? I mean, that seems to be there. If there's a through line throughout all of these three seasons, you know, of and where the writing is not so, to me, this has been the one I've enjoyed. I've not enjoyed season one or two that much, but they've all been trying to be really dark, you know, with the themes that they explore. I think the previous two much less successfully than this one. Well, do you think, Paul, that that is simply a, um, like a sales thing basically like they feel like they can't do a series these days unless they take it that direction because people won't take it seriously unless they do oh god i hope that's not the case um my guess is it's a bunch of writers because you know it's a writer's room right it's like not just you know hi i'm living in chicago and i work in new york i mean it's just usually there's a bunch of writers who are all coming together and and banging out what the entire season will be, you know, cracking the arc together. And then everyone goes off and does their thing. And I I always feel like with Picard, you see the same names repeating themselves over and over, right. As directors and writers on here. And then just, they're from probably from a similar demographic. They like the similar kind of thing. And they've all kind of all just kind of made a collective agreement that they're going to do these kind of stories. Right. And that they, they like that stuff. You know, know. That's it's what so it feels like. Well, and it's interesting because I have seen some other people arguing that Picard season three feels very um, Berman-esque to them. Uh, and they point out several things that, you know, have appeared in DS9 uh, that relate to uh, particularly female cast members and that kind of stuff. And they feel like they're being propagated in Picard season three. So... I don't know. I'm interested about that too. Just the the different ways. I mean, we have to acknowledge guys that like we have, we're still living in an age where we're getting used to the fact that we can comment. So on such a granular level on new shows that are coming out, right? When Star Trek uh, next generation was out, when deep space nine was out, like we couldn't go and talk about these things at infinitum online and kind of come up with all these theories and all these, uh, you know, things that we think should or should not happen. So to me, these writers are also working under a completely different environment that uh, is like a microscope. It's like a micro, like the, everything they do is, is absolutely broken down to all its constituent points. And I, Maybe what that is is it's a uh, reaction to the fact that the United States has the most active um, entertainment industry on the planet. You know, we put out more movies, we put out more music, we put out more t- 
television, or at least more of that stuff is out there. Maybe maybe that has more to do with wealth. There's probably a, a good argument there to have too. But but like there's just so much content that comes out of this country. So our expectations are really high, and when things don't reach those expectations, we have a um, almost an entitlement kind of attitude towards it. Like ah, it should be better. I'm paying six ninety nine a month or whatever for Paramount Plus, so perhaps I yeah. should, perhaps the show should be better. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I think that, and it's just like would 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 Next Gen have been able to endure? And evolve and satisfy for seven seasons if it existed in the age of rampant social media that we have now. My, my At guess is twenty six episode seasons. Probably yeah, not. I think people would have been just <laughs> nitpicky and crazy, and because it's like that, you know, it's just like I can I can dip my little toe in a little bit of like our show's social media, right? I can a little tiny bit. But I, I can't go into the degree that you guys do because it's just it's just such a turnoff to me. It's just everybody is Monday morning quarterbacking. Everybody has got their theory, and it's just it just makes it almost impossible to watch a show and just appreciate it on its own immediate terms. So I really, it's just it just kind of sucks the joy out of everything. It just, well, I wanted me, to though. say to Eric's point is that something that a lot of fans forget and even we seem to forget this at times is that TOS was written in the sixties. And when, when McCoy says, damn it, Jim, that's a swear word in the sixties. You yeah. know? Okay. So yeah. dropping the F bomb today. It's like dropping the D word back then. Yeah. People say, oh, well, Star Trek was never like that. Yeah, it was. If you look at the time and people seem to forget that. Well, TNG, Picard never would have done that. Well, what could t- what he was on television? There were certain broadcast like rules that had to be followed on broadcast television in the eighties. This is streaming. It's a completely different thing. Well, and to compare the well, character that you see on the movie screen and on your streaming, and to situations that were presented on a TV show where they had very strict rules for what they could and couldn't do. Just because they didn't do it doesn't mean they didn't write it. It just means they couldn't show it. Well, and you couldn't you couldn't have like the person's private. Like, you don't broadcast every moment of this person's life, right? So you see a certain amount of Jean Luc Picard on the screen in TNG. Most of the time that you see him, he's around other people. Most of the time that he's engaging with other people, he's engaging in a uh, leadership role, and he's trying to like lead people to the whatever the promised land is of that episode, right? You don't know what he does when he's in his quarters by himself he probably goes to his quarters and he's like f this f that this all suck you know you're thinking that's picard i you were saying wrong. that the man probably has a way that he lets his tension go and we don't know what it is Riker, he's such a douchebag i can't stand him <laughs> i'd like know, to shove that trombone where the sun doesn't shine well, and if as far as have, uh, the people talking about season three, uh, you have to remember who did Terry Metalis work for when he worked on Enterprise? He worked under Berman. He's like hmm. Berman's protege. So a lot of what we're seeing on Picard season three is Bermanizing of Star Trek. And I, I brought this up a couple episodes ago when they completely dropped the Rafi Seven relationship because 
Berman didn't want stuff like that on Star Trek. And so Metallus dropped it. Hopefully it'll come back to it. Well, We'll okay. I see what you're saying, Jim, and also Metallus is not Berman. No, Metallus is not Berman, but he he worked under Berman. He was trained under Berman. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that was – So to me, there's a flavor, but there's not a, like, copy. There's not a photocopy. but he – He's doing things the way he was taught, yeah. the way he learned it when he worked on Enterprise. And, you know, we'll just have to wait and see where that goes. But, well, yeah, it's very it's very it's, uh, Bermanized, for sure. But the, uh, is that the a good thing is, if you, if you want to ahead, talk Charles. about, if you ever want to, if you want to talk about the things you can't say on television, then go all the way back to 1972 and look up Seven Things You Can't Say on Television by George Carlin. And that is, you look at that list, and that list is still true on regular air television. You do not hear those words mentioned. And the thing is, nope. on streaming, we can get away with On streaming, because you can get that adult rating put on to a show... You can get uh, what you can do with that kind of language. That kind of language can only show up in R-rated movies because they don't allow that language in a PG, PG PG-13. Before we run out of time, because we are running out of time, (laughs) let's go around and get our final thoughts and scores on the episode and see how we compare to our fans. So, Paul, 1 to 10, 10 being the best, what would you give episode Dominion? There are a couple of things I liked. You know, I liked uh, I liked the opening a lot with Tuvok and Seven. I, I love the, the the stuff with uh, Jordy and Lore and Data. Um, I like Jack uh, finding out more about him. He's becoming more sympathetic to me, um, and the mystery is getting more interesting. But there's a lot of clunkiness in there, um, uh, and and I'm not going to talk about Amanda Plummer just because there's certain styles of acting I like and that I think are effective, and certain times that I'm it's just yeah I, I would give the episode as a whole based you know judging it against all the other episodes thus far I would give it a six a six a six from Paul all right how about you David well I do agree Paul there's a lot of things that I liked in the beginning the whole mystery of Jack um, I'm, I'm enjoying the episode as far as um, what I've seen so far. But to me, the weird thing that I don't get so far is the whole idea that Vatic knew that the force field was coming down. Uh, it was almost like she planned it. I mean, is she in contact with Data Lore or something? Because that whole situation was like, what? How, how would she knew that she was going to be escaping? And then somehow survive all those phaser fires. But to me, this episode didn't score as high for me. So I'm probably overall, to me, uh, yeah, I, I'm i going to be giving this one an eight. Eight. All right. How about you, Charles? As I agree, there's some pluses and negatives this one. And I'm going to go a little bit lower than what I've been doing. I'm going to drop it to an 8.5. I still like what they're doing. There's a couple of things they could have done better. All right. How about you? What do you think, Eric? 
man, I guess I'm the outlier. I totally dug this episode. There were so many things that I liked. Um, so, yeah, we could talk more deeply about those, but I'm going to give this one probably one of my best scores of the season so far. I'm going to give this one a 9.5. I really, really liked this episode. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. I cannot wait to watch it again. So, yeah, 9.5 for me. You know, and I'm I'm kind of like, I'm kind of... I'm kind of between David and Charles. I'm like eight point eight, maybe six. I don't know. Uh, eight six seven five three zero nine maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think I'll go with. I'm going to go with an eight point five. I, I, it's not the strongest episode, but I think there there are some parts like Paul mentioned that really pulled it up for me. So I'm going to go with an eight point five overall. And um, yeah. So, Charles, what's the final? What, what do we got going on here? Well, um, I should say, unlike, <clears throat> very much like last week, we are kind of close to the fans. The fans picked up a 79. We picked up an 8.1. Oh, okay. That's pretty close to the fans. Excellent. Yeah. All right. 7.9 versus 8.1, Charles? 7.9 yep. and 8.1. Yeah, that's yep. super close. Two, it's super close. Very yeah. close. Wow. Really close. Uh, that, seems like, that seems legit to me. Okay. And, you know, you look in there, too, and you look at the, the spread when, uh, uh, you know, it's, the numbers are one thing, but uh, to me it's really interesting to read the comments people meet, the ones that Eric is reading, right? There's a lot of people who are like 7, 8, 6, right? But then a lot of really enthusiastic tens that just love it and relate to it and totally dig it and love, you know, the thing. So I think it's just different people are having different reactions to it, um, you know, and, in, in, you know, people bring their preferences. They bring their enthusiasms, what they like. So I feel it, it you know, where we're seeing a lot of similar discussion points from the fans as to what we're kind of saying, it feels like it's pretty, you know, it's. You know, they seem to, you know, complement each other pretty well, I think, the, yeah, the different perspectives. And it's a good point, Absolutely. Paul, that, like, people find their own things in these episodes, right? They'll, they'll like, you – yeah. for example, this this episode had a lot of, like, a, in, a, in some ways, over-the-top emotion. And, to, and for me, that appeals to me. For you, maybe that doesn't appeal to you, right? So, like, start, they're putting out this Star Trek – and some people are going to like it more than others. Some people are going to like it less, but we still have that variety. I love it. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, like, there's certain things I just know I love, right, that I know I'm going to be like – it's like I'm maybe super waiting for, like, Worf to come back, right? It's like, you know, because he's just been golden in every scene, right? Just awesome. I can't wait to see what they do with his arc, right? Super excited for that, right? Um, and I really – Yeah, and I don't feel like uh, – I don't feel like enough, uh, you know, if we had more time, enough is said about how great uh, uh, Beverly is. I think she's, you know, really interesting performance and just, she's just still got it. I mean, she's great. I really enjoy her work. Well, guys, we, oh, there's that lady yelling in my ear. So um, I want to say thank you to David <laughs> for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight, David. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. It was really fun talking Trek. And how was your how was your pie? Was it good? Was it flaky? Was it? Yeah. 
<laughs> I want more. <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> and thank you so much to Paul for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Paul. Oh, man, it's a pleasure. It's really fun to be able to uh, bandy things about. I am uh, not that far away from watching this week's new episode in a little bit here. So I'm very intrigued and excited to see what we get next, and then we can discuss next week. Yeah, we're running out of time. Yeah, so thanks, fellas. And thank you so much to Eric for hanging out and truck talking with us tonight. Thank you, Eric. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. That was fun. And, of course, let's not forget about Charles out in Vegas. Thank you so much for hanging out and truck talking with us, Charles. Oh, thank you. It's always fun talking truck. And I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, letting you know that next week, same bat time, same bat channel, we're going to be talking about tonight's episode, which is called Surrender. Episode 8, Surrender. That'll be next week. And please, everybody, stay safe and be good to each other. And remember, Star Trek fans are the best fans. You better believe that. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night. Uh, Thanks, friends. Let's see what's out there. Engage.